Welcome to today's Mar Colloquium. The topic is how to create a credible retention schedule and information governance package. Our presenter for today is Fred V. Dyer, the Vice President and General Manager of DRM Solution Group, which provides records and information management consulting services. This past year, Fred designed and introduced a web-based retention and reporting research tool with close to 20,000 citations for legal and records management professionals. He'll provide us with a presentation today that will illustrate his expertise in this area. But what he won't mention, but I will, are his contributions to the records management profession. Fred is a certified records manager, a fellow of ARMA International, a recipient of the prestigious Emmett Leahy Award for contributions to the field of RIM, and a former adjunct professor for SLIS at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And now, I'll turn the mic over to Fred. Thank you, Pat. The learning objectives that I wanted to uh, achieve today was to teach you how to create a fact-based retention schedule. A lot of those retention schedules that we have in the marketplace today are what corporations are used are based on hearsay and really have and really are not compliant and puts the company at risk. I want to help you identify what external and internal impacts will be uh, that will result in change management and determine compliance realities. Also talk about governance package scope, and as well as how to maintain your compliance with regulations and implement a, and assure compliance sustainability within your organization going forward. Since 2002, there's been really six major events that have caused organizations to refocus on the need for compliant information controls. First one started in 1998 with HIPAA. Uh, if you're not familiar, that's the uh, health insurance uh, program, or what what you see now when you go to a doctor's office and you have to fill out all of those privacy questionnaires. That went into effect in 2002, and then in 2009, HIPAA High Tech came about, which really strengthened and the penalties for noncompliance. Of course, everybody's familiar with Sarbanes-Oxley uh, because of Enron. Uh, that changed the whole dynamic of what, or, what organizations or lawyers can sue an organization. It used to be that executives would hide behind the organization uh, to protect themselves, but today with SOX, uh, executives can be uh, prosecuted and go to jail or face heavy fines. As a result, the protection for uh, behind the organization is, is gone. In 2006, federal rules of civil procedures occurred, which turned litigation production orders on its head. And what I'm talking about is that when an organization sued, they receive a subpoena as well as a, a request for documents or information. 
And traditionally, prior to 2006, companies would try to settle out of court before they had to go through that production order process. But after the new federal rules came into place, uh, these issues were turned on its head where now when a company receives a subpoena, they have to, within 120 days of that subpoena, have to have a meet and confer with opposing counsel and disclose all of their data repositories, which includes both electronic and physical information of where it's retained and how much there is. So now suddenly they can, be re they can receive sanctions if they do not disclose where all of their data repositories are. Again, 2009 and 10, we saw government bailouts and TARP which increase SEC oversight responsibilities and audit rules were enhanced. This year we saw the Consumer Protection Act, or what they call the Dodd-Frank Bill, come into being, which will see new regulations coming about in 2012 as far as what uh, organizations have to retain and, uh, what they, and how long they have to retain that information. Of course, we all heard, know about the health care reform, and that's going to be coming into effect uh, more and more by 2014, as well as all the electronic medical records initiatives that, are, uh, that the government has mandated. So in effect, the days of deregulation are over, and companies have to be aware of what, what impacts their organizations and how they have to address those information issues. When I talk to senior management of most organizations, I ask them, you have two choices. One is that you're going to keep all your data documents and records forever. That has its own set of baggage because I'll give you an example. I talked to a general counsel a couple of years ago, and he said, Fred, he said, we're spending an average of $4 million per production order per year per case for are uh, for litigation. And that's because we're keeping everything forever and every time we get a production order we have to turn over reams and megabytes or terabytes of information to outside counsel who then has to go through all of that and decide what, is, what meets the case criteria or production. And they're charging, you know, three fifty to four hundred dollars an hour for just looking at garbage in, in a lot of cases. So again, retaining things forever is not a good option. But that's what a lot of that what some companies do. The other side of it is you want to implement a compliant and effective records retention program. That has its own problems, simply because of the fact that. It means change management. It means that how you process, how everyone in the organization processes, retains, and manages their information will be impacted. So when we're talking about today's records management program objectives, you want to implement a complex, uh, compliant and flexible governance program for everyone in the organization. You want to enable enterprise knowledge of, of, how, of how to access electronic and physical records, not just today, but also going forward. Because in today's environment, 
70% of all information that's created as electronic never goes to another media or paper for storage. And so we have to be aware of the fact that how do we are effectively managing that electronic information uh, 20, 30, 40 years into the future? And how do we are able to preserve that electronic information? Also, you want to be able to reduce your information volumes, ensuring preservation of the most complete and trustworthy records for future reference. Other objectives are ensure chain of custody. How is information created and how it flows through the organization or to external uh, resources and then how you get rid of it at the end of the day. You want to be able to control all that duplication, processing and storage of information. It's very costly and time consuming. You want to work with IT to develop processes for preserving and accessing electronic records with long retention periods. As I said earlier, what is the document preservation or digital preservation plan that's out there that ensures that you can access this information uh, five years from now? Because generally, information systems change every 18 months on an average. And then you want to be able to work with IT to dispose of electronic records. You know, it's just not easy to preserve it, but also how do you get rid of it completely uh, during the normal course of business to, with uh, appropriate retention periods. Now, we talked about governance rules. Governance rules, uh, basically, in addition to your records management policy, that has the retention schedule as an, as an attachment, which is the foundational information, all of these other types of policies have to be established and linked to that schedule. Your electronic messaging policy or your email policy, your IM policy, or if you're in social networking, all of that is connected as, as part of the information that has to be retained or preserved within the organization. Hold order policy, and again, when you receive a litigation or you're notified of an audit, you have to preserve certain types of information. How does that policy work? How, how do you supersede retention requirements, or how do you uh, basically end those hold orders when the litigation is, is over with? Orphan file policy. It's an unusual one, but again, if you're not familiar with it, an orphan file policy is that when someone leaves the organization, what happens to their hard drive, their email, their desk files, and how long do you have to preserve that information after a person leaves an organization? And then again, all of these, policy, all of these policies have to have procedures to go with them and education to, the, to these staffs. There's also organization-specific rules or governance policies that have to be addressed. Backup tapes. Every company has backup tapes or redundant servers. If you, have, if you are getting rid of your electronic documents, then that information on the backup tapes have to go as well. It all has to be linked to the retention policy. Legacy systems. A lot of organizations will not migrate uh, certain data if they move from uh, an old financial system to, let's say, SAP, they'll maintain the old financial system, 
just so that they can access uh, old legacy information. Another big one in today's environment is acquired to dissolve business unit retention policy. In other words, in acquisition agreements, if you're merging or dissolving uh, sections of your company, what happens to that information? How long do you have to retain it for audit, litigation, or other issues? HR uh, personnel privacy policies. This is becoming a, a very uh, a, acute issue in a lot of organizations because Privacy rules in Europe now are migrating to the United States, and Massachusetts is one of the first states that have adopted uh, strong, stronger privacy rules that have to be addressed by all corporations. Then you have records, security, and archive policies, as well as we talked about the digital preservation plan. So all of these policies and governance all these policies make up your governance package, but they all have to link back to the retention schedule. So how do we create a retention schedule? Well, the first thing to do is if a company, top management, says we need a sustainable and realistic retention policy, then the first step you have to do is understand what you have. You have to do all of that data collection. This is the most labor-intensive part of any uh, development of a retention program. You have to know what you've got out there. You have to look at all the record types. You have to look at all of the information media, uh, wrote, you know, from a backup take rotation requirements. You have to look at all of your data repositories. And then you have to understand how are you going to roll all this up into category standards? Who are going to be the information custodians, the owners of that information? Uh, once you roll these things up into uh, various classifications. I'm not going to cover these flowcharts in, in detail. It just basically says the steps in data collection as far as how you have to uh, access information, how you have to conduct interviews of all stakeholders to understand what they have, but also at the same time to do some marketing so that they are very well aware of what change is coming about, and they can contribute some ideas to that environment. So again, department by department, location by location, function by function is essential to conduct and collect this information and conduct these interviews and get some feedback from the users. Once you've collected all this information, which could take several weeks or months depending on the size of the organization, then you have to validate the findings. Did I hear? Uh, what the interviewer said was correct. So you basically start constructing individual department taxonomies. Those are information, uh, detailed information about the record types. And you send them back to the users and say, did I hear, did I collect everything? Do we have all of the definitions required? Who are the custodians? What are the media types that this stuff is retained on or, or created in? And then you have to secure user consensus prior to developing standards and rules. So the taxonomy or what you want to talk about the master classification plan is that you have to take all of these department, functional, location, record types, taxonomies that you develop and start consolidating them together into an enterprise or global master classification plan. 
And again, I'm not going to uh, go through all of these flow charts because you'll be able to download this presentation and take uh, ample time to review these. But it's a matter of just uh, developing the master classification plan so that you have started the standards of indexing and where this stuff is stored and who's the owners of it as we go forward. I'll have an example of a master classification plan in a couple of slides. The first thing you develop once you've collected the data is your records management policy. And this has to be an executive level or board level policy, and it has to mirror what kinds of policies that the board or executive body issues to the enterprise. And the policy has to be enterprise in scope. It cannot be departmentalized. It has to, because the only way you're going to ensure consistency and sustainability for your program is to have an enterprise policy. Also, the policy has to define the entire life cycle of information, regardless of media or type. No longer is there a differentiation between record and non-record. Those days are over. Everything has to be identified. Everything is producible. And so, therefore, your retention schedule, your policies, your governance policies all have to reflect all record types, regardless of media, and regardless of what they are. And also the policy has to define a governing oversight body so that they have the responsibilities of continually reviewing the, the policies, the master classification plan, the schedule, because these are living documents and have to be addressed on an annual basis for changes in the organization or changes in policy. And again, as I said earlier, all of these have to link with the retention schedule. Now, what I'm showing you here is real examples of schedules that have been issued by corporation. And, you know, if this was a live audience, I would ask you, what's wrong with this schedule? But I will tell you what's wrong with it. You can see that there are too many permanents and too many seven years. And I can go to the next slide as well, and you'll see the same problem. Too many permanents, too many seven years. When corporations or whoever has established a schedule starts putting the word permanent in there, that's a cop-out. That means that why even have a schedule? Because you're retaining too much for too long. In, in regulations, there is no such thing as permanent, and I'll explain that in a moment. You'll see seven years. Everybody says, well, seven years is the common retention policy for most transactional or accounting records, which is, again, based on hearsay and not on fact. When I started in this business, it was four years for accounting records, and then it went to six years, and then California came out with eight years, and then the uh, federal government came out with 10 years. Today, for transactional uh, accounting records, such as invoices, uh, general ledgers, journal entries, etc., it's 13 years for tax agency clearance, whichever comes first, and that's made up of three regulations. One that specifies that the government has to know, IRS has to notify you of an audit within three years. And then if they 
do notify you of an audit, then you have to, from that, from its date of notification, it's an additional 10 years. There's your 13. And then there's a third provision that specifies the district director of the IRS can clear you of any uh, record uh, of audits for any prior years. So the district director may come back and says, you're cleared for 2005 and prior. That means you can get rid of records. So that's why you have a retention policy stating 13 years or tax agency clearance, whichever comes first. That's the real policy, not a seven years. And again, the longest retention policy that I know of out there is for trademarks, patents, and uh, well, trade, uh, intellectual property type of records, trademarks and patents, which is 110 years plus. So again, permanent is not an option. People who put permanent down are just basically uh, saying, I don't want to ever address this issue. And, uh, and again, they're not in compliance. They're keeping everything forever again as a result that has its own problems along with it. The first step is researching government regulations that impact the business. Understand what your business does. Are you in the nuclear uh, utility business? Are you uh, in the high-tech business? Again, it depends on what kind, or are you in the service industry? You have to understand what kind of business that you're currently operating, and that's the re research that you do. And it should be based on fact and not hearsay. If somebody says seven years permanent, whatever, ask him, what is the regulation that supports that particular, that particular conclusion? If you are global in nature, then you have to look at all of those countries and organizations that you are, have locations in or where you are authorized to conduct business. And again, there are several countries out there that says, state that if you create original record in country, they have to, you have to be retained in country. China is one of those. If you create an invoice in China, it has to retain in China. If they find out you have copies, they can uh, re uh, take away your business license. That's how serious this is. You have privacy requirements, which we addressed, addressed earlier as well as you have treaty requirements like European Union or the Southeast Asia Trade Association and World Health Organizations and so forth that have NAFTA, for example, between Canada and the U.S. has retention requirements within that issue as well. So what we offer at GRM and what I've developed is basically uh, what a new product called uh, GRMP, which is fundamental uh, web-based research tool that I'd like to share with you just for a couple of moments here. Great. Uh, what I will take you through, just a quick demonstration. Again, if you have, you, we have close to 40 countries that we can add to this PDF if you're depending on the countries that a corporation operates in. We also have all 56 states, territories, and the District of Columbia regulations. Just within the U.S. and states alone, we have close to 11,000 regulations. 
we divided these, and these are just retention and reporting regulations, not the entire legislation. We've divided all of this into 10 functions. So anything that's related to people, for example, that's all of your human resources, your labor, uh, your applications and resumes, everything like that are found under people. Governance has all of your deeds, contracts, licenses, titles, and so forth that will be found. The rest are fairly explanatory. Or you can do a keyword search for any type of record that you're looking for. So if we're looking for a specific state, again, as, since this is San Jose, I'll use California. You can just say, how many regulations do we have in the state of California? And you just hit search. And if somebody wants to have the Jeopardy thing while this is working, <laughs> uh, please do so. There's 800, 804 regulations found okay. for California. Now, if you're looking for a specific uh, record type, uh, I'll just put student record and see what comes up, if anything. There's six regulations relating to students' records, for example. So you can look down here, and there's two buttons over here. Uh, that, are, that you can click on if you wanted to see what this one particularly says. This is up for hazardous substances emergency response training for students, and it's supposed to be retained for five years after date exam was administered. So there's your retention requirement. Very simple, but again, we, what we've done here is that we have extracted from the actual legislation or law or regulation from California, uh, the exact quotation that contains the retention periods and impacted records. So, it's, uh, so you can search on this. And the only thing that we do add is that we will add a section and paragraph of exact, that's the E11, for example, that we uh, uh, that we found the information in. But we do not change any words or anything else within the, within the regulation. The other button here is what, if you wanted to copy the regulation or a link of that regulation to your retention schedule, all you have to do is hit this link and it will go to a, uh, basically to a clipboard so you can paste it when you're uh, into any documents that you're in, interested in. Now, you see this matrix view over here. Let me call up uh, people for the state of California. Well, let me get out of this. Clear the search, and I'll take you right back to the 11,000. If you want to see exactly how much you're in here, this is all of the, all of the record categories in the 11,000 as well as all of the source material that we searched. So you can see how extensive it, this is. And it gets even worse when you look at uh, international. But if you're looking for, let's go back to California again. I'll click on people, do a search. And 
And you notice there's 120 regulations found, and all of a sudden this comes into color. It's a poor example, so I'm going to use uh, applications to see if that reduces the, the amount of searching that has to be done here. Uh, I'm sorry, it bounced me back out. I'll try that again. California, people, and applications. Now, you see there's nine regulations found for applications. As there's, so you, hold, you hover over this, there's nine regulations found. It impacts 70 different types of application records. So what I call this is my risk thermometer. Basically, it says that your risk is pretty high that if you don't conform to these regulations because they impact so many different types of application records. That's all that is, it's just a little guide to let you know that you maybe should be paying more attention to this issue. You can also search by filters, as I told you before. You can drop down and see what these applications relate to. And you can even search on that by hitting uh, that particular one and see exactly that there's five different record types that are, that are ministered. And again, the California employer information two years. And this is your, uh, can be reporting requirements or other special instructions if, you're, if, it's in, if it's relevant. But again, here's the entire uh, quotation and all, and your keyword is highlighted. So again, after this session, I'll be glad to answer any specific questions, just a quick overview and how PD works. Very straightforward, very simple, but very powerful because, again, if you're setting up a retention schedule, you'll be able to do research against the types of records you're looking for and see if there's retention requirements out there. So only 70% of uh, in most common industries have regulations that impact their records. If this comes up zero, that means there's no regulation out there, and as a result, it becomes an operating requirement or an internal requirement that you have to set for the organization. So that's GRMpedia. And again, how do you do regulatory research? You really have to understand what the business operations are and how many countries you operate in, as well as then you have to consolidate and codify that research that's specific to your organization. Because as Pat indicated, we have close to 20,000 regulations worldwide. Not all 20,000 are going to impact your business. I just completed a, a project for a law firm in California that they operate in three states and, and the District of Columbia as well as federal regulations. We gave them a, a firm-wide or firm-specific GRMpedia. And I was surprised that they had 654 regulations impacted their law firm. So again, it's, it's important that you understand what business, I mean, what regulations impact your business. Once the research is complete, then you have to take your taxonomy that you created and you have to map those regulation research results against those standard categories. Once that's done, then you have to, you should be looking at that particular policy that you've established because that's your baseline. So, so if there's an operating need that you need to keep it longer, 
then you would apply it at that point in time. So again, this is how you combine your taxonomy with the uh, research and create your retention schedule. This is the whole flow chart. Again, you will see this slide so you can take a look at it in more detail at your leisure. The next step is again, grabbing the classification standards or record series with definitions. Definitions are critical because so many departments call the same record by a different name, so you need to really define what that information is so people know exactly what they're looking at. You should also have a media record designation. In other words, tell them to select a media. If, if they want to keep it in paper, fine. Electronic becomes a copy. If they want it in electronic, then paper becomes a copy. Therefore, you could now start managing all of that duplication. You also put in vital. Vital is, is that designation that you identify a record series for disaster recovery. It's, vital is, is defined as necessary to the continuation of business in that a fire, flood, or natural disaster which cannot be reproduced by any other source. So it's very few vital records in today's environment. Historical. I saw a question pop up here about, well, some records are permanent. Yes, if you designate a record series as historical, then it go, flows into a whole different uh, program called, you know, you either have a company archivist or an archives program that preserves and recatalogs that information in an entirely different manner. You basically place a copy in official retention periods as well as you can, uh, as I showed you, link uh, your regulatory citations that you selected to GRMP and as well as have records custodians uh, that you identify who the owners of, of the information are. So this is the way a retention schedule really should look. I know it might be a little blurry for some of you, but again, I'll go through it briefly. Here's the record series or big buckets. To the, the days of the detailed retention schedules are over. If you have retention schedules that have more than 150 different record uh, series on it, then that's way too many. Because again, managing servers, managing electronic information really has to have that large bucket environment or record series that includes a lot of similar types of information. But you basically would have your record series the, define what that record series is here, as well as what's included in the record series. There might be multiple types of records that are included. The Office of Record. Well, this column is blank right here on this sample, but this is where you would show vital or historical, as well as the media types that you're found. Your Office of Record. Who owns this information? At the end of the day, if you're not in the Accounts Payable Department and have invoices, then you have a copy. The accounts payable department will retain the official record, official invoice in this particular case. I strongly encourage you to put working copy policy and state it in months. This means that you can throw the document away tomorrow, but don't keep it longer than the, than the month specified. And you can have as little as a week, a month, 12 months, whatever. 
but this basically helps guide people how long they need the maximum period of that they can keep copies. You have your official retention period. Here's that tax filing date plus 13 years of tax agency clearance. And here's all the responsive citations that make up that particular regulation. And again, you can click on these uh, responsive citations and it will take you right to GRMpedia. So one of the benefits, you've got your retention schedule in place finally. It's been approved by management. So what's the benefits to your organization? It really will reduce management decision processes. Now they know exactly what they need to retain, how it's indexed. It's all standardized now. And fundamentally they can find things for the first time as well as they know what, that they can get rid of things confidently uh, without fear of retribution. And it really enables all personnel to access needed information. They know that if they don't have it, they can know what office of record to go to. It really can reduce your volume substantially, both on the electronic side as well as paper side. And you're starting to manage the whole life cycle of information from the point of creation to its ultimate disposition and for all types of information. It raises management's comfort level that they now are, they now are in conformance with all of the compliance rules. And it minimizes end users' document handling burdens. They're not keeping all of this stuff wondering if they can get rid of it or not. It really decentralizes the use and accesses of information. Uh, so you're really managing information at the desktop by, by any ECM tool that you might have out there but you are employing these centralized rules and standards, which is important going forward. And it makes records management program a core information function, just like your IT function is today. So with that, we have about 15 minutes left of our, uh, I'll be more than happy to uh, answer any questions that anybody has. How often is the information updated? Uh, the information in, P in GRMP is updated constantly. In other words, whenever a new regulation goes into effect or that we are aware of that regulation at a state or federal or country level, we will add it to PDA. One of our enhancements to the pro this, this uh, program was just introduced in June, so we're still doing some enhancements to it. And one of the enhancements of the first of the year will be that uh, there will be another screen when you log in that will tell you all of the ads and changes over the past 30, 60, 90 days. Can students use the site without a fee? Unfortunately, no. It is a subscription-based uh, uh, site that uh, just like Westlaw or LexisNexis. I don't know if uh, you want to answer this uh, now, but I see CJ was asking about pricing. She's very much into retention schedules at work. Yes, uh, through the end of November, we have a special offer of $100 for the domestic version of PDF per month. Uh, its regular price is $150 a month, uh, and you can order right online when you go to the landing page.
Great, thanks. We may be reaching out to you. I work for Ernst & Young, so we may be reaching out to you in the future. Thanks, friend. No problem. Uh, just uh, there's my contact information if you want to. If you, if you need an international, depending on the countries, then it, it, the price goes up because again, it's just the maintenance and, and translation of regulations that we have to take into consideration. Randy was mentioning it must have taken a very long time to input the data into the site. Uh, how long had you been working on that? Well, I've been collecting information for 15 years uh, because I was a little fed up with what I was hearing out in the marketplace uh, as far as what the regulations. Everybody said, well, you've got to keep that permanent or seven years. And I go, not what I've researched. And then I started looking at it closer, and I said, we've really got to uh, get something out there that's fact-based so that you can not only ensure that you're preserving it in, in the correct manner, but, uh, but you're not preserving it too long. Uh, where people were, tend to be uh, keeping it everything forever, as you saw earlier. Uh, I'm wondering if Lisa was uh, satisfied with your response to the, her question about records of cultural and historical value. Do you have a uh, follow-up to that, Lisa? Lisa is one of our instructors. Yeah, my background is, you know, uh, is an archivist. So I can I can really appreciate her her issues. Uh, again, if you designate something on the retention schedule as historical, then that moves that entire category once it comes up for destruction to uh, either an archivist or it can be you know moved to a school, can be moved to a, a state archives or whatever for them to manage for you. Uh, in a whole different uh, issue as far as long-term preservation for historical reference purposes. That's where that comes in, and it's really important to understand that when you're, when you're working with companies like their minute books uh, are, are one of the issues if they're a public company, or maybe contracts certain uh, have this historical meaning, then you really want to ensure that you're preserving them uh, in another manner and take them out of the retention schedule environment. The schedule is for uh, preserving and disposing of information in the normal course of business, and that's why we have that historical and vital designation within the schedule. Thanks, Fred. And yes, uh, when I was uh, listening to your lecture, and I, I, I can see the students on the list who are, there's a lot of archivists in, uh, in this course room right now, and I was just a little bit concerned when you're saying, really, nothing is permanent, and I, that's why I just wanted to jump in, but I think you've clarified that. Thank you. Um, and yes, organizations will have both cultural hill and historical records that are permanent. And they will have even business records that are permanent because I work for a major uh, Canadian uh, financial institution, World Bank of Canada, and we even have business records such as what you've mentioned like uh, board of minutes directors, records of our president, unclaimed balances records, health and safety issue records that have been legally researched and the records uh, have come out as being permanent. So I just wanted to put that out there that yes, there are records both culturally and on the business side that do potentially could be of uh, long-term preservation. You're exactly correct. And again, I don't like to use the P word on the schedules. I, I use life of the corporation, which, which means as long as the corporation is in existence, uh, then 
uh, that record is to be preserved. That could be for hundreds of years. Or life of the asset, you know. And, and again, uh, in some cases, don't, don't be misled by research which says this is a permanent record. What that, in, in U.S. terms, what that means is that it's unalterable. It's not retained permanently. It means that it, it cannot be changed. You have to have it in an unalterable fashion or a permanent fashion. So, you know, that's where a lot of confusion arises when they see those types of, of quotations within statutes. That they say, well, this is a permanent record. Well, no, it's, you have to make sure it's not alterable. But again, if you do have records for a long period of time, use life of whatever, uh, because then that has a definitive resolution. The federal government in the U.S. has, they define permanent as 500 years. So again, if somebody says, I want to keep this permanent, then you, then you can start with 500 and work, work backwards if you want to get a realistic policy. Do we have any other questions on any part of the presentation today? David has one. He said, you said something to the effect that both records and non-records should be included in the decision process. Can you flesh out a little bit what you mean about the non-records issue? Well, non-records uh, have been with us for as long as I've been in the business, and that usually comes from the government, you know, defining that, well, all we're going to be worried about are those records with regulatory uh, requirements. But now with the new federal rules of civil procedure, that's all changed where anything is producible. So if you have calendars or if you have uh, uh, notepads uh, or, or meeting notes, you know, stuff like that that nobody would think that they would have to put a regulation against, which there isn't any. but if they are producible, they should be identified, and you can put very minimal uh, regu uh, retention requirements against that material. But again, everything has to be identified in your schedule, not just records with uh, retention requirements. I hope that helps. And again, if there's no other questions, I, I really wanted to provide a high-level overview that this is not an easy process to create a retention schedule. It is complex, as one of the one of the participants stated, and it's it, and also it has to be maintained because all of these are living documents, and therefore, if you don't annually update them, there's so many changes that are going on not only within organizations, but within uh, government regulations that. If you don't keep these updated, you can be out of compliance very quickly and be subject to a lot of sanctions. Uh, you know, the most heralded sanction was against Morgan Stanley a few years ago for $1.2 billion because they didn't know where their records were. And, uh, and that was administered by the courts. Let's see. Uh, I'm not familiar with the term enterprise in regards to functional rules. All I'm saying is that it cannot be when I talk about enterprise, I'm talking about firm-wide, organization-wide. In other words, you're not having retention schedules just for a department. It has to be for the entire corporation. You can extract schedules from the, from the master schedule or the enterprise schedule for departmental use, but everything is administered at that uh, global schedule uh, environment. I hope that uh, helps. Fred, I want to thank you very much for this presentation. It was very informative and an excellent tool that you've introduced us to. 
Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to present today and uh, look forward to doing it in the future when uh, on any other subject relating to records. Thank you very much.